asthma. And I love, love, love sending them home to their parents. <laughs> I love it all. Amen. Amen. God is good. God is good to all the women of this church. All the women of this church are fruitful in every way. And uh, God is good. Hallelujah. Tell the person next to you how glad you are that they are here in church. Tell them it would not be the same if you were not there or they weren't there. <laughs> I've said it before. I've done church without you. And it's not near as fun as it is going to church with you here. Amen. All right. Well, we have chosen today to continue on to our, with our Red Letter Revival sermon series here today. And uh, so I believe that this will uh, just really touch everyone here in this room and that this might be a wonderful moment here of the Lord speaking into your heart. So if you would with me, uh, just bow your heads and let's just pray over the word. Amen. Father, I just ask you right now to come into this room, Lord, with your wisdom and with your strength, Lord God. I pray that you would take this next 30, 40 minutes, Lord Jesus, and, and think into my thoughts and speak into my words so that it's not me at all, but it's you in Jesus' name. God, bring illumination to your word, Lord God. And I say right now that I become very much less and you become very much more in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. How y'all doing today? Did y'all survive the 80-whatever degrees it was this week? My goodness, isn't it glorious? I'm telling you, I loved it. And then today, just a little cooler, a little bit nicer, yeah. And it's not raining, hallelujah. Um, let's, let's just dive in. Jesus' life and, life and words set the world ablaze. Would you agree with me? He, he truly... You know, I've read to you different articles and different, different, uh, different information and statistics about everything that Jesus did in this world. And it's, it's amazing. He truly set this world on its edge. He changed everything. And the life that we live today, society that we enjoy, even though it is not perfect, and I would venture to say the reason it's not imp that it is imperfect is because we have not fully embraced Jesus' teachings. But what we do enjoy here is really due to him and his, his word and his teachings. And uh, as society continues to embrace and the, king, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God continues to expand, if, first of all, in every single soul on the planet within each of us, and then as it expands in culture, we're going to see an amazing change, and we are seeing amazing change. I've, I've got some really fun things tucked in the back of my head to tell you, and they're wanting to burst out, but they're for next week right now. So you have to come back and hear what's just so excited inside of my head about what I just said, about the expansion of the kingdom in this world. You know, we don't have an understanding for what's going on all the way around the world. We just think that where we're at is what it is, and it's not. And there's good news all across the face of this planet. So Jesus' life 
Set the World Ablaze and the Red Letter Revival sermon series is uh, put together to reignite the fire and passion into every single one of your hearts, first of all, and then in your life. And that's our, our kind of our goal. So today I want you to, we're going to go back to uh, the Beatitudes, chapter 5 and Matthew. And I told you last week that I'm going to call these the beautiful attitudes, even though it has nothing to do with the real Latin. You know, the actual Latin word of Beatitude just means blessing. But I kind of like beautiful attitudes, okay? So... We're going to uh, keep plowing through these, these uh, attitudes, or beautiful attitudes, actually. Uh, and there's nine of them total, and we hit three already. And today, I think we're only going to get through one more. This could go a long time. I just am sorry to tell you. So, but I'm going to, I'm, we're going to do some reading, and I'm going to read a, a bit of a passage here. So just follow along, and your Bibles are on the screens. So Matthew 5, verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets... Who went before you. And then now I'd like to skip down to verse 17, if you would, with me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you the truth, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's going to be our passage for today. Isn't that a wonderful one? Today we are going to, uh, I'm going to speak to you a little bit about righteousness. So we're going to hone in on that fourth beatitude. Blessed, happy, fortunate, which are other meanings of the word blessed. Blessed and happy and fortunate are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. And we can't just stop there. We have to add that passage of verses 17 through 20 there because that finishes up and finishes the thought about righteousness. And so we're going to have fun here today kind of breaking both of these things down. 
The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' moment. It was his time to really set the course to shift from all things Old Testament and Old Covenant the way it had been going for hundreds of years in the the state of Israel, which was a, a, a situation where there were many laws and many rules and many many uh, chief priests and pharisees and 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 teachers of the law that were constantly watching you and constantly making sure that you were behaving just right and if you did something wrong or if you touched something that you weren't supposed to touch or you you I don't know, whatever you did, or you hung out with the wrong people, then you had to go into the temple and you had to get cleansed and washed. You got to take a bath at the temple. And this is how life had been going for God's chosen people. The Israelites were God's chosen people, his loved group of people. But this was their life. It was a heavy, burdensome, toilsome situation. And Jesus Christ came into that situation, came into that structure, and he changed it. He shifted it. Hugely. He shifted it. He shifted it by fulfilling Everything that that religious system was requiring for every soul to be righteous. For you see, all those rules and regulations were the way that it was set up so that those people, those Israelites, could get into relationship with God. And they had to do it, and they had to do it just right. And if they didn't do it just right, then they had failed. But Jesus Christ came into that situation and he fulfilled completely everything that was required of the law. And he brought the idea and the concept and the ability to become a righteous person into the grasp of humanity. For you see, this entire Bible, this entire story right here of history from from creation to the end of the world, that's what you get in this Bible. That's what it is. If you're wondering what life is all about, it's written right here. But this entire Bible is about the human relationship with God. The human relationship with God. It's all about God whose essence is perfect and righteous and holy and pure And how that God created humanity in his image. So, so much of what we are bears this incredible mirror-like image of who God is inside of us. But our state, our, our essence, God's essence is righteousness and holiness. Our essence, the, the way we're kind of formed on the inside, We are imperfect, we are unrighteous, we are sinful, and we are impure. Take a look at a two-year-old. What is our first inclinations? Our first inclinations in the depths of our soul is to do things that aren't right, to to possibly lie, to cover up, and and all of that kind of thing. Our human essence 
is one of imperfection. So how can God and humanity have a relationship? Because like I told you, this whole book is about God and humanity having a relationship. How can we do that? How can clean coexist with dirty? How can holy coexist with sin? How can righteousness and the, the state of being righteous and unrighteousness coexist? It can't. Something has to happen. Something has to change in one or the other for the two to coexist because they cannot be together completely. So either the two of them will come together and they're kind of neutralize each other. So like uh, the other day I was with little Easton. He was out digging in the dirt and his hands were dirty. And he's the kind of kid that doesn't like his hands dirty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So he was like, Ugh. you know, I'm like, what is so cool? Get dirty some more, you know, and he's like, Ugh. and so he comes to me and said, okay, I'll take care of you. I ran inside. I got a little bucket and I filled it up with really clean water. Okay. Just perfectly crystal clean water. And I brought it to him and I went, you know, put your hand. So he went like that and he pulled out his hands. So what happened to the perfectly clean water I had when his dirty hands mixed with it? That's right. The dirty, the water became dirty. But you know, the funny thing is, is when you looked at his hands, his hands weren't clean yet. So what we had now is two very kind of mushy, dirty, yucky things instead of anything for sure. Right? So holy and unholy, clean and dirty, should we say, or righteous or unrighteous when they come together, one of three things is going to happen. Either when God and humanity come together, it kind of turns into this like mushy, whatever sort of thing that there's no delineation. Or one of those two parties has to change. Either God has to let go of all of everything inside of him that is pure and holy and righteous and just kind of let go and just say, it's okay, whatever, you know, I... But in the midst of that, he will cease to be God. Or the third option, as opposed to God giving up his essence to become more like us, we could give up our essence and become more like him. So, across the world, across humanity, across the face of the earth, humanity being created in the likeness of God knows down deep inside of them that there's something greater, something better, something out there. There's a reason for my existence. Is there a reason? What is the reason for my existence? Why am I here? Where did I come from? And where am I going to go? That is bred so deeply and so inbred, it's so ingrained deeply into every human soul. They have to answer those questions. And those questions are answered in one Encapsulating question is, which is, who is God to you? We are driven by this need for, for, to understand down deep in our soul how we came to be. Where are we going and why are we here? 
So in man's desire to find, and, and they realize there's, we, we all know that there's something bigger out there. We all know. And in our drive for, for that, uh, we understand that either we have to become more like him or he has to become, and that's, he's not going to become more like us. We have to become more like him. So religions have been formed across the face of the planet where humanity is reaching out to God, to somehow reach him. Maybe if I empty myself of, of everything that's inside of me and just not think and become non-existent, I could merge with God. Maybe, maybe over here in this religion, maybe if I work really hard and I crawl on crushed glass and I burn myself and I work hard and I don't eat anything for days and days and I, I scourge myself, maybe then I can become close to God. Religion causes us and puts us in a place where we have to work very, very, very hard to reach up to a holy, perfect, righteous God. And it's a hard task. And this is what had happened in the Old Testament. What had start at, started out in the early chapters is a great God-man relationship soon became religion as well. As man piled on more and more laws so that you would have to, you could do righteousness on the outside. But in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came because he saw the futility of what religion is. He saw the futility and God knew the futility that man can never do it on his own. Man can never be good enough. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so in the fullness of time, Jesus came into the very depths of the very center of that system, that religious system, and he lived a perfect life. A perfect life. Now, he shifted the whole situation, the whole focus of man obtaining relationship with God, now it is no longer focused on outward laws, outward behavior, outward doing. There's no longer a, a big system of religion in, in, in Christianity where we're supposed to be watching each other and, oh, you're dirty. You need to, you know, you're unclean. You need to go and get, get what, you know, there's not that any longer. No longer is this relationship between us and God based on our outward behavior or laws but now Jesus Christ took that whole system and twisted it upside down and he said now you know what I'm not after priority wise I'm not after your behavior on the outside I want your heart I'm going to drill down deep inside of you I don't want just outward behavior and let the inside of you just do whatever it feels like because then we have duplicity Jesus said I, I'm relieving you of, of all of that out there of the outer stuff but Instead, now I want your heart. I want the depths of who you are first. Why did God want our heart? 
Why did, why, did this, why did Jesus shift everything from outward behavior now to our heart? Why? Why did they, he do that? Because everything flows out of your heart. Everything. Your speech, Matthew 12, 34, you can throw it up on the screens. Your speech flows out of your heart. Your, uh, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. My, um, let's see, where's mine? Matthew 12. I like my version a little better than that. Sorry, Brad. Make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks if God's going to get, you know, how many of you guys have like, had to go like this? Or, you know, how many times, how many times have we been out there, you know, in, in work or whatever, and, and people like, Bleh, you know, say all sorts of things, and then they see you, and they're like, oh, sorry. No, I don't care what words you use. I more care to, you know, I care more about what's in your heart. Because all that is flooding out of your heart. I'm not going to judge you for the words that you use. I am going to take those words, and I'm going to go, oh, let me pray for your heart. And when those words want to flow out of me, when those, you know, words, you know, the Bible says, don't take my name in vain. The Bible says, don't be involved in coarse jesting. The Bible says all sorts of things about your speech. But when it wants to flow out of my heart, I need to not go, man, I'm a bad person. I just do bad things. I say bad things. No, 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 no. I need to go, whoa, wait a minute. Let me step back and let me kind of look in my heart. Because that's where it's at. It's not the words. See, we get too caught up sometimes in judging the outward. But God and Jesus is saying, no, honey, first, 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 let's look at your heart. Because he wants your heart. Because he knows when he is resident in your heart, your mouth will flow with everything that is his. Your mouth will flow with love. Your mouth will flow with graciousness. Your mouth will flow because that's what happens when your heart is transformed. He's pretty smart. Proverbs 4.32, it says that out of the heart, the issues of your life will flow. He wants your heart. He wants every issue that flows out of your heart into life. Uh, Mark 7, Mark 7, I'm going to read this one, verses 21 through 23, says he's, he's speaking to the, the crowd there. And he said, he went on, what comes, out of a man is, uh, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For within, out of the man's heart, did I just mess that up? What comes out, oh, it's not up there. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, comes evil thoughts sexual morality, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, sl slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. And that's what makes a man unclean. He wants our heart a relationship with God begins in our heart. Romans 10.10 10 says that if, your heart, if in your heart you believe and then with your mouth you confess, you are saved. It's in the heart. 
A person's morality resides in his heart, and you cannot legislate morality. You can pass gun laws all day. You can pass, and I'm just going to pick on gun laws because it's so obvious. You can pass 100,000 gun laws, but that will not stop a man from being jealous to the point of pulling out his gun. That will not stop a man or a woman from wanting to grab power over another. That will not stop a man or a woman or a human being from going in and stealing and shooting and killing. It will not stop a man from becoming, first of all, angry and then begin to hate and then plot a murder. A gun law cannot do that. We cannot legislate behavior. It doesn't work on the heart because the heart is a spiritual place. And only spiritual warfare can change a heart. Only the touch of God can come into a heart. And only you stand as the gatekeeper at your heart, allowing something in or barring it from coming in. Legislation can only kind of restrict behavior. And that's good. It helps us. It helps us until we figure out what's in our heart. So legislation is good. But your heart is better. And the spiritual work that needs to be done in the human race is really where it's at. And that's exactly where Jesus is headed with every single one of us. Jesus Christ shifted from outer behavior focus of priority to the heart priority. So now let's look at this beatitude that we want to look at here today. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those, blessed, happy, fortunate are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness. Why doesn't it say hunger and thirst for God? Don't you think it would be better if, if Jesus had said, hey, listen, hunger and thirst for me. Just, just hunger and thirst for Jesus. Just become really, really spiritual and seek me all the time. And that's all you need. I would think that that's what he'd say. But it's not what he said. He said, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? I don't understand. Let's learn a little bit about righteousness, okay? I'm going to read to you a bunch of scriptures here. I'm just going to fire away and just listen. Because it's right. It's take too long to look them up. Psalm 119, 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalm 48, 10, as in your name, O God, so is your praise to the end of the earth, your right hand is full of righteousness. Psalm 97, 2, clouds and thick darkness surround him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalm 119, 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his deeds. So why does Jesus teach us that we must hunger and thirst for righteousness? 
I want you to understand two things about righteousness. There's two aspects about what righteousness is. And righteousness is a huge theme throughout the Bible. And it's kind of hard to grasp. I'm like, what's righteousness? So all week I've been praying, Lord Jesus, I want you to help me break down the understanding of righteousness so that even the smallest, youngest person in the kingdom can understand it. So it's going to be hard to do, but here we go. Righteousness, there's two aspects of it, if you will just bear with me. The first aspect of righteousness is an inner thing. It is what you are. And righteousness is the gift of God. God is righteousness. Very similar to the passages that say that God is love. These passages are saying you are righteous. God is righteousness. And the concept of righteousness is just right. Can you think of just right? Have you ever done things right? And then have you ever done things wrong? Have you ever like, you know, gone throughout your day and, and you started off hoping you're going to do it right. But then, you know, a couple of days, a little bit in, all of a sudden you, you, you kind of lie a little bit or you, you do something. And you're like, whoa, that wasn't right. Oh man, that wasn't right. Just that's what right justness is. It's, it's doing things right. And God is filled. His essence is right. Correct. That's who he is. That's his essence. That's who he is. And we try so hard to be right. And Jesus says, listen, you're never going to do it perfectly. So I'm going to give you some of my righteousness. If you'll just turn your heart to me, I'll give you some of my rightness. In fact, I will go so far as to take you if you'll just open your heart and yield your heart to me and confess with your mouth. I will actually take you, humanity, and I'm going to take you and I'm going to pull you inside of me. And so now you wear my rightness. I have a really fun story, but I don't think I have time. Okay, I will. <laughs> so the other day, Dwayne and I were, uh, we were walking Lily, and we were on a kind of a back road thing. <laughs> this is funny. I'll try to go fast because I've got to finish up my word, right? So we're walking along, and there's a guy, a homeless guy. There's a lot of times homeless guys on this back road. And he's sitting on the ground. He's got his backpacks all over his hair. all, you know, and he's, he is what he is. And he's taking off his shoes, right? And I'm fine. We walk by. Hi, you know, what do you... I don't have anything to, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things where, hello, and uh, goodbye, and we're going to keep walking. But I noticed that his sock on his left foot, he was trying to arrange it, and it was about that long, and it had been shredded off completely, and it was kind of like right to there, midfoot, and he was trying to get his boot on and get his sock, and I'm like, well, okay. So I'm, and I, we keep walking. Dwayne didn't see that part, and I said, we took, we went maybe 30 feet, and I said, Dwayne? He's telling me something. I don't know what he was telling me. I totally lied. I said, take off your socks. I don't have any socks on at this point. I don't have any socks because I have a little I said, take off your socks. He's like, what? I said, take off your socks. What? Take off your socks. What? I mean, he said it probably five times. Take off your socks. <laughs> Finally, I talked him into taking off his socks. He sat down on the road just like the guy was still, you know, 40 feet back. And he took off his socks. And I said, thanks. So then I grabbed his socks and I ran them back to this guy. And... You know, I'm not saying this to make me anything cool because I am not cool. I was just obedient for the first time. 
in my life. So I hand him the socks, and he goes, oh, wow, thanks. And I was like, well, they're kind of dirty, so they're kind of, you know, because I'm, as I'm handing, I'm like, they're stinky, you know, because <laughs> I've been on him all day. <sighs> so I hand them to him. But I looked him in the eye, and I said, you need to know something. I don't know what you've done, where you've been, what's going on in your life, but God loves you. Yeah, you know. No, I know God loves you, and he wants your heart. Will you give him your heart? Oh, I know God loves me. I know he's always, no. Will you give him your heart? Will you give him your life? And I was standing there and I had just prepared this and I'm like, I can see it. The lights are on in my head. If you will just go, yeah, I'm here. God, I give up. He will take you in all of your unrighteousness and unworthiness and stinkiness and messiness and whatever. And he will scoop you up and he will give you his righteousness and he will take you inside of him. And I was like, it's so easy. And he looked away and he was really working on it. And he said, no. Oh, man. So I walked away just praying over him. And every single one of us are faced with this constantly. You are the gatekeeper of your heart. Your heart is yours. It is a piece of real estate that God has given you and then he's given you free will and he will never overstep that. You own your heart and you can give it to him fully. You can give it to him partially or you can not give him at all. You can act on the outside any way you want. No one will truly know what's in your heart and what's going on between, except for you and your Savior. This is why he wants your heart. Humanity fills their hearts with all sorts of things. Because we all long for purpose. We all long to be accepted. We all long to be important. We all long for, for a reason to be living. We all want to feel like we're something. But that can only be filled by your creator and savior, Jesus Christ. So God wants to take you into his heart. But when he takes you into his heart... Remember I told you righteousness is two things? It's a place that we reside. It's a, it's a thing that we are. And then it's the way we act. And, determine, and the way you act is determined by where your heart is. And if your heart is settled and is in residence in the heart of God, now we must act as it is. There's some people in the, in the kingdom. I like the band to come on up. There's some people in the kingdom that want to say, oh, Jesus took care of it all. He took care of it all. There's no reason now for anything. I am in grace. I can be anything I want. But I am telling you that righteousness is two things. And I remember in the passage, it says, I did not come to abolish the law. Not one I or J or whatever is going to leave from that law 
but I fulfilled it. Why doesn't he just abolish it? Why doesn't he just get rid of it? Like some of us have the mindset that, oh, there's nothing I got to do. I just need to, you know, accept Jesus into my heart. The reason is because righteousness is the essence of God. For him to get rid of the law would be to get rid of what's inside of him and how he is. He can't do that. But he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. So we accept his righteousness. We accept what's right about God and it covers what's wrong about us. And we're in his heart now. Now we're in his heart. Now now we're inside of him. Now I want you to picture Jesus. I want you to picture him and who he is and what he is. And if you are inside of him, it is our job now to conform to him. Conform to him. We can't be in Christ and be our own thing. What will other people see that Christ is? If we decide to do it our way. If we decide to behave any way we feel like it. Because, oh, Jesus got this covered. I've already asked for forgiveness. So I'm going to look like this. But you're in Christ. I want you to understand that righteousness is two things. And there is a reason why this beatitude says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst on the inside for right. Hunger and thirst in your life to be right. To have rightness inside of us and to be inside of Christ and right and cleansed and washed. No guilt, no shame. And now once you're in there, let's pray and hunger and thirst that we might conform to righteousness. That the work in the heart works its way out. And that we would be conformed to him. Amen? I'm going to read one last passage, hunger and thirst. You know, our bodies get hungry all the time. I can eat the biggest meal on the planet and think I'd never have to eat for another week. And within three hours, guess what? I'm hungry again. Every body hungers for nutrition to keep it alive. And every soul hungers for something to fill it. And I would call to every single one of you today that you are hungering and thirsting for something. And I pray, I pray right now that you would turn your heart towards the Lord and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because you will be filled. That's the promise. I promise that if you seek purpose in life outside of the righteousness of Christ, outside of who God is, you will never be filled. You will never be filled. But this promise says, hunger for righteousness. Oh, Jesus. Rid us of unrighteousness. Let's all stand. Our souls hunger. You made us with hunger. I want to really encourage every single one of you 
to hunger and thirst for the right things. Isaiah 55 says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what is not to satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he, while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts, says God, are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and so are my thoughts. I want you to hear two things, thoughts and ways. God's always talking about righteousness in two ways. Thoughts, the way that you are, and your ways. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth and it will not return to me void, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Righteousness. Every heart in this room, you own your heart. You are the gatekeeper of your heart and you are in charge of your heart and God will never supersede that. He will not. He will let you do whatever you want, even if it means to destroy yourself, even if it means to walk away from him. He will allow you to do that because he has given it to you and he will never stop that. Why? Because he chose to make you and he chose to love you and he wants chosen love to come back to him. Not forced love. Every heart in this room, every heart in this room, know that his righteousness is there for you. And every heart that has accepted Christ into their life and every heart that now resides inside of Christ, I would say now is the time for you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now is your turn. Now is your time to ache, to ache, literally ache for rightness inside of you. And if there is anything, anything residing inside of you, anything that constantly wants to pop up or come in or just all of a sudden does, that you would look at that thing and say, no. And that you would hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that your ways would follow after his ways. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm kind of an odd duck in society. Kind of odd. I don't do things like they do out there. But I have to keep remembering. It's because I'm, I am becoming more and more and more and more like my Savior, more and more like my God that I serve. My, I am conforming more and more to His image and to His likeness. And His ways are higher than anybody out there. It's going to be a little different, amen? I want to invite the prayer team up here. If I'm talking to you and you want to give your heart to the Lord, I just want to encourage you to come on up. We're going to sing this song and leave in worship. But
before you sneak out, I want you to just take a moment. Let's and, just and hear this word and join us in worship. Even though you're not here in person, we love and we know that there's a spirit that unites and that guides us. That same spirit that even drives that urge of hunger, that drives that desire to want to know the Lord more, that desires us to want to find the life of righteousness, as Pastor Joel was preaching. That same spirit is what connects us, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching remotely from somewhere else or it's a recording down the road or live. That same spirit is there to guide you and to lead you, to take you along a path. And if you get a chance to come visit, great. If not, we are praying for you. We love you. We desire to see impact and life change for you, wherever you may be. Father, we just pray today, God, that you would just bless those who have watched with us online, God. Those who have, have joined in as a part of this family, God, from where they are, God. We just say, God, that you would let them know that they are not alone in their stand for righteousness, in their desire, Father God, of the holy things and more of you. That they would know that they have a house, that they have a home, that they have a place that stands with them in spirit and in all things that are truth, God. And we just say, continue to give grace and mercy, Father God, for there be room to go after the righteous and the hungry things, Lord Jesus. And for any of you out there who maybe you haven't dedicated your life to the Lord, you have not started that relationship with Jesus, we just ask today that you would just take a moment and you would just welcome him into your heart today. We bless you. We love you. We encourage you to go to the website, go to YouTube, hit subscribe, and check out more videos that we may have from past and videos that are coming up in the future. And if you ever get a chance to come visit, make sure to stop by our Connect Center and let us know how you found us. We love you. We bless you. And again, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there.